Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And it's about that week. It's that week now. Not everybody gets to play this weekend. Not everybody gets to sit down and watch their favorite team or favorite school go out and take the gridiron. So you know what this week's about? Everybody's dinged up, you know? Everyone's got some nicks and bruises. Everyone's tired. Everyone's played a long season. This week specifically, conference championship week, it's about finding a way. Teams, fans, tailgates, turn them up. Whatever you got to do this week, you got to find a way to finish through the line. And we're going to finish through the line right here on the People's College Football Show, The Hard Count. Welcome in. If you're new, it's college football and only college football every single day, live Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern as we are right now. It is Prediction Tuesday, a very special Prediction Tuesday, as we're about to predict every single Power 5 conference title game. Last time, best time for the Power Five as we know it. It is Tuesday, November 28th, 2023. The last one on the face of this beautiful planet. So we're going to make it a great one. Like I just said, giving you our predictions for all the big time matches. We got a, a clash of the Titans in the SEC. It's Kirby Smart. It's Nick Saban. It's Jalen Milrow. It's former Alabama quarterback commit Carson Beck. Now, obviously, with the Georgia Bulldogs, Georgia, Bama, and Atlanta. Who's taking that one? Well, I promise you, we'll give you our pick here in just a matter of minutes. Florida State and Louisville. Talking about finding a way, man. Like Florida State, I think, has embodied finding a way all season long. Can, can, can they pull themselves across the finish line? That line is Florida State by two and a half in Charlotte. Louisville, now the Brom squad, lost that game against Kentucky, which I think makes them even more dangerous in that spot. Who wins the ACC? Huh? We'll tell you. We got a little Friday night action, too. I love that the Pac-12 does this. I mean, is doing this right now. They won't do it next year, you would imagine. Uh, Oregon and Washington. Title fight. Round two. It was a movie in Seattle the last time we saw these teams play. And uh, right now, Oregon is favored by almost double digits. Nine and a half was the most recent spread that I saw. Who ends up winning this one? We'll give you our pick there in just a minute. Also, we got Michigan and Iowa. Iowa, yeah, the double-digit dogs, but I promise you, they don't care. They don't care what happened in Ann Arbor last weekend. They don't care about what Michigan's done to that Jim Harbaugh's back on the sideline. Uh, they're looking to be an agent of chaos, and Michigan looking to finish the trip. Can they do it? Huh? We'll see here. We'll talk about it. We'll give you our pick, as we always do on this Prediction Tuesday. And if you have subscribed to this channel, one, thank you. If you haven't yet, would encourage you to do so. But if you have subscribed, there have been some, uh, some big-time coaching moves here. A&M, Landon Mike Elko, Jeff Lebby, headed to Starkville, Mississippi. Stark Vegas, as we call it on this show. I thought that was a great hire. Uh, we'll give you our thoughts on both of those hires here in a somewhat brief fashion. Uh, the reason why I mentioned if you're subscribed to the channel, then you already got a more elongated version of our thoughts on both those hires. Regardless, though, we got a ton to jump into. I mentioned four conference title games because we're about to start with the fifth one. It'll be the first one of your Saturday. We got the Texas Longhorns playing Oklahoma State in Jerry World. This is a game that I've been to before, and I'll say this. I think this is 
very quietly, one of the best scenes when it comes to the conference championship weekend, because it's in Jerry World. It's starting your Saturday, so you go from college game day or your tailgate or big noon kickoff or whatever right into the first game of your Saturday morning. It's just beautiful. You got the sunlight kind of peeking through the, the open window in Dallas. I think it's great, or Arlington rather, excuse me. I guess it's not technically Dallas. You get the picture, 12 Eastern, ESPN, or uh, ABC rather, uh, Texas favored by 14 and a half against Oklahoma State. And with this game, there has been a lot of, uh, a lot of talk around Texas and what they are or what they will be when they go to the SEC. And I'm just going to get out ahead of this because we said it before the Alabama game. We're going to say it again to you right now. There's going to be a lot of talk around Alabama, or excuse me, around Texas being back. Going to be a lot of talk about Texas being back. And I want to tell you all right now, that is a clicks conversation. Us here on this show, and I'm imagining y'all that are watching the show who consume college football content, you're not really in this whole thing for clicks condo. You just want ball. So that's why you're here. But what I want to make sure we say is back and not back, I think it's an overrated conversation. What it would mean for Texas, though, if they win this game, it would mean there is no denying what they are right now. I mean, there's no denying what Steve Sarkeesian has done in his time there in Austin. And I think also the body of work for them would speak for itself. You would have to feel pretty solid dare I say good about your college football playoff chances and your resume with how it would look if you're a one-loss conference champ out of the Big 12 with a one-score loss to Oklahoma with arguably the best regular season win in all the country with a double-digit win in Tuscaloosa. Four-ranked wins, I think that would be just right for Texas. And uh, this game means a lot, obviously, before they throw the deuces up and head to the SEC. Now, for Oklahoma State, man, it's no secret. For everybody, it's, it's personal. It's absolutely personal. Like, they want to send Texas to the SEC with a loss. They do. Like, they would love so much to have the SEC chance, sarcastically, just echoing throughout the entire building as they take a knee to upset Texas in this game. That's what they would like to have happen. They have relished the underdog role, I think, the entirety of this season. The over-under win total for the Pokes coming into this year, six and a half. If you had the over, that's already cashed. Um, for them, this is a, a spot where I think everything about them has, like I said, relished that underdog role led up to this game. They got a quarterback who's on his third school in Allen Bowman. They, it took them overtime to get to this game beating BYU in comeback fashion last weekend. They're playing with house money. Nothing more dangerous than someone at the table playing with house money. Now, as we always say with spreads like this, if you're new to this show, this is how we preview games with a double-digit kind of spread. We give you our non-negotiables. It's not hard to tell you, hey, we think Texas wins the game. That would be an easy thing to just say. The non-negotiables when it comes to predicting this game, and I'll tell you who I think is going to win the game here in a matter of minutes, so sit tight. I think you would need real disruption from the Oklahoma State defense. Like, overall, like you, you can't just sit back and let Quinn Ewers picked you apart and Oklahoma State to be 100% honest with everybody watching the show they have not been a pressure team if there was a time to start it's right now dial something up that you haven't seen to this point in the year if you're playing Texas in this spot also I would say you need to be somewhat physical from a coverage point of view in the secondary because there are so many weapons for Texas that I don't think you can just allow everyone to have a free release and what I mean by free release for those of y'all that don't know Essentially, you can't give a, a, a big cushion to these Texas wide receivers. It doesn't have to be 
press man coverage, but I think you do have to get hands on and make it an effort thing for them to get in and out of their breaks and just make it hard on them to do the simple things. Just, just be, it sounds, I don't know if I really want to say it this way, but be in some ways just a speed bump, try and slow it down as a whole uh, when it comes to Texas throwing the football downfield. Now, I will say this too for Oklahoma State. Uh, they've been tremendous so far this year in terms of forcing turnovers. They're taking away one and a half times a game. Nice little pick six this past weekend against BYU. Had a great fumble to ultimately win the game or a fumble force and a fumble recovered rather to win the game in overtime. Alan Bowman cannot turn the ball over at all. Not he can't turn the ball over one time. Not you have to win the turnover battle. Like you, you cannot have any turnovers because what that does would it would give Texas more ammunition to go down and score points you don't want to get into a track meet with Texas it's not a way that you win this game he's been 10 touchdowns to 11 picks this year has Alan Bowman that has to be zero picks in this game I don't need four touchdown passes it'd be nice but I need zero interceptions if I'm Alan Bowman now the big question here and the big advantage for Texas is the variety of weapons they have to work with because that's the trouble with defending Texas. You got Xavier Worthy, you got Adonai Mitchell, Jatavian Sanders, Jordan Whittington. Like, we go down the line here, and you have to have answers for all of those weapons. Going back to what I just said for Oklahoma State. One, I think you got to be physical in coverage. Two, I think you have to at least manage that. It's not a thing where you have to just totally lock down the entire receiving core for Texas, because I don't think that's realistic. I think you have to manage it. Just have that not be the way they beat you. Other part of that is Texas and what they do pre-snap is so difficult to handle. Oklahoma State has to do a good job of sorting that out. Because Texas and Steve Sarkeesian, I mean, he is, he's going to dial it up now. We know it. We've seen it. We've seen it firsthand in person in Tuscaloosa when we saw them play Alabama and score 30-plus. They'll do a lot of pre-snap shifts. They'll do a lot of motions, whether it's Xavier Worthy from the slot or someone from the backfield making a, a motion behind the quarterback out to a wheel route like they're gonna play with the eyes of the Oklahoma State defense if they don't sort that out correctly they don't even have a prayer and Texas will score north of 30 like they did against Alabama now the other thing for Oklahoma State and the reason why we break this down from the Oklahoma State side of things again because this is where it has to has to be for Oklahoma State to be competitive in this game I think the burden of proof is on Oklahoma State in this game Running back Ollie Gordon has to have a sizable impact. And this is threefold as to why he needs to have an impact. The first of which being a lot of what Oklahoma State does offensively is off of like the RPO kind of, kind of move, the, the play action kind of move. A lot of it is a mesh at the very least to Ollie Gordon to play with the linebackers and the, the third level of that defense, try and get them to, to run up and, and honestly try and fill run. I'm not worried about you running the football if I'm a linebacker if we've stopped it all day long from our defensive line. So then it becomes harder for Alan Bowman to throw the football. You need to be multiple offensively to try and beat Texas. Second part of that is Ollie Gordon, it's no secret, he's the best player on your team. Heck, when he's on the field, he may be the best player on the field. He has to have an impact in this game. Pretty straightforward. Your best players have to play their best in the biggest spots. No other way around it. Because if you take away the best player for Oklahoma State, like it's going to be a long afternoon, going to be a, a not very interesting third and fourth quarter in the Big 12 title game. And the third part of it is, I think you have to possess the ball to beat Texas. Going back to what I said about turnovers, the more chances that Quinn Ewers gets on the field, the less you feel good about your chances if you're Oklahoma State. 
has to be a thing where you, you limit that window for them to score points. If we say this a lot for different predictions, like Oklahoma State, I think, wants to play this game somewhere in the 20s. Can you do that? That's where I get a little bit concerned because when I look at the way that Texas matches up with Oklahoma State, the spread is what it is for a reason. That run defense for Texas is sensational. They're allowing 85 yards a game. That's top five in the country. I think they're going to, at the very least, manage Ollie Gordon, if not neutralize him. And I think the Texas offense, it doesn't take a lot for them to get leverage on a team. And I think once they get their foot in the door and they get up 10 or they get up, heck, 214, I don't think Oklahoma State's going to be able to chase them. The Texas run game is the key to all this for me. Oklahoma State, they're not good defending the run, giving up 176 yards a game. I expect C.J. Baxter to be rolling in this one. I expect him to be extremely effective. I think he will be the, the hammer in this game for Texas. And I think Texas wins. I don't know if I like the spread. I've seen everything from 14 to 14 and a half. I'm going to go ahead and take Texas final score to win 38-24. So definitive passes the eye test, another feather in the cap for Texas. And I think if Texas, if you're Steve Sarkeesian, if you're Texas, you leave this game with a win. One, you get the SEC chance that you want. Two, it's the culmination of Steve Sarkeesian's flipping of the Texas operation when he got there. Their first year, they were five and seven. Got the Bo Davis rant. Then you go eight and four. And then you have a year like this where you throw the deuces up to the Big 12 in front of the entire conference, you leave to the SEC, and you have some momentum heading to the SEC. There's no questioning what Texas is from that point of view. So it has to feel pretty sweet. But again, we like Texas. I don't know if I take them to cover. I want to touch that. That line gives me some heebie-jeebies. But I would take Texas to win this game, passing the eye test, looking good for the committee. And at that point, just kind of wipe your hands and say, all right, we, we did all that we can do, boys. We did our part. We'll see what the committee thinks. But again, if you're Texas, I think you feel solid, dare I say, good when it comes to the college football playoff and how you match up and how you shape up, rather, in the eyes of the committee. That Bama win now. It's going to look good for a while now. going to look good for a while. Hey, appreciate everybody dialed in watching live. Make sure you're subscribed to the channel. We've got a ton of content coming for you. We are going to be at a game this upcoming Saturday. I'll tell you about that here in just a second. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a minute of the content we got going. Also, we, we, I wouldn't do this if we didn't have to, just because it hasn't been a great couple of, couple of weeks for us here. Prize Picks is bringing you the hard count today. And we love Prize Picks. Right? I've had a blast playing Prize Picks all season long. Redeem code JD when you sign up. 100% deposit match up to 100 bucks. Prize Picks is sensational. We've just been really bad. So if anything, take this next segment as advice to fade us going forward, all right? Another tough week, so here's the deal. Some of it we can control, some of it we didn't see coming. All right, let's get into it. Uh, we had Bo Nix, J.J. McCarthy combining for a total of four and a half touchdowns. We took the more on that. J.J. McCarthy threw for a touchdown. Bo Nix did not pass that number for us together. Then it hit. K.J. Jefferson, Quinn Ewers. Now this, see, th this one we take responsibility for, but we don't really. K.J. Jefferson went out of the game in the first quarter. So, like, no, that one didn't hit either. Jalen Milrow, we took him for half a rushing touchdown. We took the more there. That didn't hit. It was a bad week, all right? What, what am I going to say? Bad week. So you can, you can look at this two ways. One, say, okay, I'm going to fade them. 
and we'll circle back on Thursday and we'll talk about that. And so we'll, we'll get to that when it gets there. Uh, the other thing you can say is, all right, well, hey, our boys are due at the hard count. Hey, J.D., he's been, he's been ice cold, but uh, it's always darkest before the dawn. It's always, uh, you know, a little cloudy before the, the sunshine. That's how we feel about it here. I'm excited for this upcoming week. Big redemption week, all right? Like I said, find a way kind of week. But again, use code JD for 100% deposit match up to $100 when you sign up. It's a blast. Daily fantasy enhances your viewing experience. A lot of y'all now, I know a lot of y'all, your team's not playing this weekend. Prize picks is going to help make this a little bit more engaging, if you will. Get dialed in there. Whole lot of fun. We'll have our picks for you this upcoming Thursday. All right. I want to talk about a, uh, a quick hire that happened over the weekend. I guess it was Sunday. The news kind of broke that it was going to be a reality. You got Texas A&M hiring Mike Elko to be their next head coach. Now, Mike Elko, to be real, like right off the bat, when this job became available, he got our vote to be the guy in College Station for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, I think he's substance over flash. And I'm not here to tell you that, that Texas A&M didn't take a swing at some bigger names. Like, you heard Dan Lanning in the mix. You heard Mike Norvell in the mix. You say, J.D., those are big names. They're absolutely big names. But I think they also fit the profile of what Texas A&M needed and what Mike Elko embodies, which is substance, which is culture, toughness, clear identity, program builder, like all those things I think Dan Lanning and Mike Norvell clearly are, but Mike Elko embodies to a T. I also like that Mike Elko has a track record now of doing more with less. No knock on Duke. I love Duke. Heck, if I could have gotten in as a preferred walk-on, I would have gone to Duke as a grad transfer. That's just it, man. It's a high academic standard at Duke, making it difficult to recruit other players at the high school level. So you kind of got to work with that three-star. Heck, that two-star with a great ACT score. You know, it just it, it takes what it takes to get into Duke. And it limits the number of players you can draw from from a talent level. You're not supposed to win how Mike Elko has won at a place like Duke. All right. When he got there, they were three and nine. They've been a bull team the last two years. Now, here's the most important thing as to why Mike Elko differentiates himself from the rest of the field here for him being the right guy for AM. There was a clip going on in the Twitter sphere or the X sphere, whatever you want to call it these days. And it was uh, at the press conference where Mike Elko gets announced as the head coach. And they're doing, I believe it's called the War Hymn where they are they're swaying back and forth, singing about Varsity's horns being sawed off. And Mike Elko, if you watch him in that clip, he knows the lyrics to that song. Like, Mike Elko is, is not looking concerned, like, whoa, this is crazy. Why are we singing a song in my press conference? Why are we swaying back and forth? He wasn't shocked. He wasn't overwhelmed. He wasn't surprised. And I'm not saying that if he didn't know the lyrics or that was new to him, he wouldn't be successful as the head coach at A&M. But I do think it's worth noting that Mike Elko, having been the defensive coordinator at AM, having understood already what that fan base is about, what Texas AM is about, I think that puts him a step ahead of anybody else who would have taken that job. Because some places, man, it's just more important to get it than others. In Texas AM, it is crucial to get it. I mean, I think if you were to put another individual in Mike Elko's shoes in that situation at the uh, press conference where they're singing the song and swaying back and forth, like, I think you might have seen a little bit of the, uh, whoa, <laughs> whoa, what's going on here? Mike Elko, he looked right at home singing the war hymn. So Mike Elko, he gets it. I'm excited to see what he does. The fact that he is understanding of what he's walking into and wants to walk into it, I think it's going to make him successful at A&M. And again, I think he embodies all the right things. 
Not a matter of resources, not a master of roster, or not a, a matter rather of roster talent at AM. It's a matter of can you put it together the right way? And Mike Elko has proven, given his time at Duke, he can put it together the right way with the three star talent. You got to feel pretty good about what he can do with uh, some four and five star talent. So we'll keep an eye on that and uh, want to give you our thoughts there on that big time hire. Carousel craziness right now. A lot of people thought Mark Stoops was going to be the guy at AM. I did for all of like. I guess it was three to four hours. But regardless, Mike Elko, he is the next guy at AM. And uh, I think the good folks in College Station are happy with that one. All right, moving right along here, we got Georgia and Alabama in the SEC Championship game for Eastern CBS, Mercedes Benz Stadium. We will be in the building for this one. Wasn't sure exactly how it was going to work out. Wasn't sure if we would be there. We wouldn't be there. We are going to be at Mercedes Benz for this game. Fired up for it. Cannot wait to watch this one because it will be a clash of the Titans. Two heavyweights going at it. For, for Georgia, a lot of talk about the 3 P and last year's team and Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban. Like, to be real, in Athens right now, I feel like they think pressure is privilege. Because it is. Pressure is privilege and they want to go after third in a row and all that is exactly what they have signed up for. If you've gone to Georgia, if you've signed out of high school or gone via the transfer portal, you signed up for a game like this. But pressure is privilege. That's true. Also, they're just in hunting mode. Like, they're not thinking about going for a third in a row. They're not thinking about Kirby Smart versus Nick Saban. They're not thinking about Alabama. They're thinking about how do we get ourselves in position here to win this game and go forward. They're not thinking about the target on their back. It is Georgia versus everybody in that locker room. That's all they're thinking about, okay? So, yes, there's pressure on this game, but I don't think that this is a team or a locker room that feels like they've inherited anything. I think they're just looking to make their own mark and make their own legacy in a game like this is where it starts. Now, Alabama, if you want to be the man, it's tale as old as time, man. You, you got to beat the man. And right now, Georgia is the man in the SEC. And you don't need to, if you're Alabama, do anything superhuman or supernatural to win this ball game. That's the reality. I think you have to have your best game. I think that's true. But it doesn't take anything that you don't have on your roster to win this game. So for Alabama, can you execute to the nth degree? Can you clean up what happened last week? Can you create some sense of urgency from what happened last week and make good on it in the SEC title game? I'm excited to see it. Because if it's, it's anything like we expect it to be from a Nick Saban coached football team, I think they will uh, have the screws tightened a fair amount when it comes to this matchup. Speaking of matchups, there's one big one I'm watching, and it is Jalen Milrow, the Houdini artist that is Jalen Milrow, against the team speed of this Georgia defense. Now, to be clear, this will be the toughest test for both sides of this matchup. For Jalen Milrow, he has not seen a defense like Georgia all season long. For Georgia, they played some good quarterbacks. They played some good athletes playing quarterback as well, and Peyton Thorne, Haynes King last week from Georgia Tech. They've had some success on the ground. Uh, they will not be anywhere near the caliber of what Jalen Milrow is bringing to the table in Atlanta. And so for Georgia, there's going to be two scenarios in which you have to stop Jalen Milrow. And it's not going to look the same as it has from the other games where you played Auburn and you played Georgia Tech. I'm just saying schematically, the run game might look a little bit different. But there's going to be two scenarios you have to stop Jalen Milrow. The first is quarterback design run. Meaning, hey, we draw it up for number four. We're going to the right the whole way. We got a tight end coming around. We got a lineman pulling. We are blocking for four. We are putting the ball in his hands. He's getting north and south. That's one way. The other way 
is it's third down. We got a free blitzer. We got a chance to sack Jalen Milrow. Wouldn't you know? His spidey senses kick in. He makes you miss. He's out on the perimeter. New ball game. New, new play, at least, within that game. As Joel Klatt would say, he goes above the X's and O's. At that point, what happens? The way that I, that I feel in this game, I would be wildly surprised if a Kirby Smart, Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp coach defense, given the data they have on quarterback design runs, again, it'll look different, but what they have so far on quarterback design runs, if they don't correct it in a game like this. I think Kirby Smart, when he sets out a mission before his football team, he is the best in the country at getting them prepared to execute and handle that mission. So all that's to say, I don't think quarterback design run will be quite as much of a problem as we've seen it be for Georgia at different points from the Auburn game and the Georgia Tech game. The thing that I think is most, most interesting here is Alabama and Jalen Milrow when we get to that new play kind of scenario that I just explained a second ago. So if Georgia can minimize that, and you take away the legs of Jalen Milrow, well, then you force Alabama to use a basketball term here, play left-handed. Not that they can't still beat you, but you put more pressure on the skill set of Jalen Milrow that maybe isn't quite as dangerous. The thing that scares you the most about Jalen Milrow would be minimized in that situation. Now, for Alabama, let me be very clear. I want to clear my voice before I, uh, I say this. There's a path to victory for Alabama where Georgia has the right scheme in place and they have the right coverage in place and strategically throughout the week, they have done everything right. But Jalen Milrow wakes up that morning on Saturday in Atlanta in the hotel, goes to his suitcase or his travel bag, whatever he brought on the trip, and pulls out the red cape with the S on it, puts it on, goes to Atlanta, or goes to the game rather, just goes Superman mode. That is a possibility. With players like Jalen Milrow, when he tucks the ball and runs, he is one of the best ball carriers in the country. I did not say he is one of the best quarterbacks running the football. I did not say he's one of the best running quarterbacks. I did not say he is you know, one of the best playmakers. He is one of the best ball carriers when he tucks in and runs. Okay, that is 100% true. He has the ability to take over this game. We've seen him do it at times, but one, one thing that's going to take from him is one, his best game, and we already said that at the, at the top of this, the second part of that is he's going to need to be decisive. Like Jalen Melrose has it in the tank. Again, it doesn't take anything superhuman from him, even though I said he can be Superman. It won't take something we haven't seen from him before, but it will take some decisiveness from him getting downhill. I think against Auburn, you saw some plays where he wanted to push the ball downfield with his arm. You saw him get out of the pocket, and a couple of times he'd be past the line of scrimmage and he throws the football. It's got to be, hey, I see, I see a lane. I don't know how many of these I'm going to get. I'm putting my foot in the ground. I'm going north and south, and I'm gashing this defense. He can do that. There's going to be a couple plays where I think that's on the table for him. Him taking advantage of that, though, is going to be critical. Now, on top of this, uh, Alabama's weapons have got to separate. Have got to separate. Because for Georgia, they're going to play a lot of man coverage. And depending on the success of Jalen Milrow running the football and when those plays break down, if he's able to get on the perimeter and he's able to have some success... At that point in time, that Georgia secondary is going to start looking over their shoulder whenever they hear that volume of the crowd amp up a little bit and say, oh, no, number four is running the ball again. And then when they turn around and you lose track of Isaiah Bond or Jermaine Burton or whoever you want to talk about there, that's when the big plays could really happen. Like Alabama has got to separate to some degree in those ad lib kind of plays to be able to win this football game. Because in the just 
standard base pass plays that Alabama has. You got to separate there as well, but I don't feel as confident. I like Georgia's matchup in the secondary there against Alabama's weapons. You got to find a way to get those plays within the margins of some broken plays if you want to win this game, if you're Alabama. Now, offensively for Georgia, Mike Boba, man, he's, uh, he's been in his Duffy all year long. We've seen pre-step window dressing. We've seen shifts. We've seen motions. We've seen him dialed up for different players. We've seen him scheme Brock Bowers open. And scheming your best player on the field open, I think, is worth something because everybody and their mama knows you want to get it to him. The window dressing of Georgia offensively with the pre-snap movement, expect a lot of that for a couple of reasons. Uh, One, I think Alabama struggled with that last weekend against Auburn. Now, granted, there was more concern with Peyton Thorne running the football and him, you know, getting around the edge on you. So you probably consider that in this spot. I don't think it'll be quite the same impact, but... If I'm Mike Bobo, I test that. Because what I think they want to do is window dress and have some jet sweep looks and try and attack the perimeter. Just get this Alabama defense, especially those linebackers, off balance. Because if you can get them off balance, two things happen. One, you're able to then, I think, run the football how you want to run the football. And as balanced as Georgia has been, I think that's who they want to be is pounding the rock, hammering away. Dejan Edwards, Kendall Milton. Like I think that's what they would like to do. Second part of that is it allows for Carson Beck to kind of stay ahead of this whole game. And what I, what I mean by stay ahead of this game, whenever you're off balance and you're a defense, you're trying to guess at what's going to happen next. Those throws for Carson Beck become a lot easier because your receiver is a step ahead of that linebacker or that safety or that corner, whoever you want to talk about there. You're a step ahead. Throws are easier. More space to throw to. Good things are happening. Okay. And when the game is easier for Carson Beck, there's going to be more success for Georgia. Pretty straightforward there. Now, the other thing to watch here when it comes to Carson Beck, what happens on third and seven-ish? Because I think at some point in the game, there will be situations where Bama is able to kind of, I don't know if, if totally stop the run is the word. They might do it, I suppose. But I think you'll have some spots where Alabama bows up, gets a stop on first and second, and forces you into third and passing. And so with this game for Georgia, there's going to be a lot of man coverage for Bama, just like there was for Georgia, going to be a lot of man coverage for Alabama. And in this spot now, it's going to be extra critical for Carson Beck to throw to the right spot. Like if we got someone running with us stride for stride in phase, we got to put it on the back shoulder. If we got someone playing in that hip pocket, we got to put some touch on it, put it right over the other shoulder to Brock Bowers or Dylan Bell, whoever you want to talk about. Like there has to be elite accuracy in this spot. And if he can place the football on those third and sevens, I don't know how you stop Georgia. Because at that point, you have answers in third and long. I think you have success running the football. I think Alabama's guessing defensively. That's where things get really interesting. Now a matchup to watch within this, I just mentioned Brock Bowers. Uh, those Alabama safeties, You play some ball now. Uh, Malachi Moore is a stud. Caleb Downs is a first-round draft pick waiting to happen for Alabama. It's no secret he's one of the, I think he's going to be one of the best of all time when it's all said and done in Tuscaloosa with what he does right now playing, uh, playing safety for them. Georgia's offense is so efficient on third down. 57% conversion rate right now, number one in the country. Okay, don't think it's any coincidence that Carson Beck is extremely efficient. 72% of his passes are completed. That's really good. He's got a top 10 QBR in the country. When it comes to our pick in this game, I think if you were to play this game 100 times, 
there would be a pretty even split between these two. I think to ultimately give you our feel on this one, again, Jalen Milrow, he could just put the cape on and say, this is my day, I'm winning the game. That's how it goes. Very, very possible. But when I look at what we've seen to this point in the year from both these teams, I think it would take a greater malfunction from Georgia in this spot, something we haven't really seen from them to this point in the year, than it would take from what we've seen from Alabama. Like, we've seen Alabama have issues second half against Arkansas, last week against Auburn, the Texas game. Like, we've seen Alabama show some mortality at times, and I think Georgia, just by nature of what we haven't seen from them, is why I like them to win this game. Y'all, I think this is a, a tremendous, tremendous game to watch. I think the entertainment product is through the roof. I think Georgia ends up winning this game by a touchdown. So if you want to say we're taking Georgia to cover, we're taking Georgia to cover. We like them 34-27. And if Georgia wins this football game, this is Kirby Smart's best coaching job. Because think about all the things that have changed in the last couple of years and the sustained success. New OC. You lost Dan Lanning as one of your DCs. New quarterback. 80th returning production in the country. Like that at that point is Kirby Smart's system starting to run itself. You still got to push the standard forward, but it goes back to Georgia, I think, having arrived. And if they hadn't already arrived as back-to-back national champs, winning the SEC this year and beating this Alabama team, I think would serve as that statement, that that flag being planted in the ground of Georgia arriving at the spot where I think we have seen Alabama be at in those early 2000s. So again, we're taking Georgia to win. I think they are your SEC champs, and they will obviously, in that way, finish as an undefeated SEC champ and lock up a college football playoff spot. And in that way, I think probably take some pressure off the good folks at the committee. The playoff committee, that is. Also, make sure you subscribe. We've got a lot of y'all tuned in right now. We appreciate it tremendously. Hey, if you just found us, uh, it's college football and only college football. I say this to all the good folks watching live. No hot takes, no agendas, nothing extra added into this. Literally just talking college football every single day of the year. So we appreciate y'all being dialed in with us. All right, I want to talk about another hire here that we just had. And that is uh, Jeff Levy. Jeff Levy, you remember, of course, previously the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma. And Jeff Levy, there was sort of a split feel on him within the Oklahoma fan base. There was one portion after the Kansas game saying, fire Jeff Levy, malpractice of using the clock. Okay, hear ya. Uh, Other part of the fan base towards the end of the year that was saying, well, Jeff Levy, it's about time he gets a head coaching job. He's that good. I probably lean towards the latter conversation there. And Jeff Levy obviously now has been hired as the next head coach for Mississippi State. And I love this hire for a number of reasons, but the main one being, I think it's Mississippi State saying, hey, we don't just want to be 8-4. and four. We could have gone and gotten a more proven commodity as a head coach. We could have gone and gotten a more sure thing as a head coach. Promise you there will be some former Power 5 guys available. There will be some G5 guys that have head coaching experience that, that are going to be available. They said, no, we want to go with the offensive coordinator with no head coaching experience because we want the upside factor. We, we want the boom factor with Jeff Levy. Because as much as there is like a gamble here, if you hit on Jeff Levy, we could come back to this conversation here in a couple of months, or rather a couple of years, excuse me, and say, yep, uh, Mississippi State, they, uh, that was the day it all changed when they hired Jeff Levy to be their next head coach. 
And the reason why I think the boom factor is so high with him, yes, we got to see what the defense looks like. Yes, we got to see what the recruiting classes look like. And I think with Jeff Levy, given his track record, I think you feel pretty good about that. I think he will attract a good quarterback. But going back to the, the ultimate point for me here, for Mississippi State to be competitive quickly, I think they have to zig where the rest of the SEC zags. And we said this in our one-off video, but we're going to say it again. I don't think you beat Georgia by being Georgia. Same thing as what Josh Heupel has done at Tennessee. Tennessee isn't winning football games. They didn't win in your six bowl last season because they were the most physical team up front and they had the best offensive line and defensive line that looked like Georgia did. Like, no. Tennessee beat Alabama last year because they made them cover the entire 53.3 width of the field in yards and slung it all around the yard with a talented quarterback and some first-round NFL receivers. Jalen Hyatt, most notably. Like, that was how Tennessee got down last year. And that's how I think Mississippi State is going to get forward now going forward, or going to get down going forward now uh, with Jeff Lebby running the show. The thing I like about this, you just need to get a couple of pieces really right. You can be good on the offensive line. You don't need to be great. You can be good on the defensive line. You don't need to be great because we're scoring so many points because we got it really right at the receiver position and we got it really, really right at the quarterback position. And I think, again, Jeff Levy is going to attract talented quarterbacks to Starkville, Mississippi. So we love that for Jeff Levy. Love that for Stark Vegas. And I'm excited to see how that one unfolds. Again, I think they went the Josh Heupel approach there. Hiring an offensive-minded guy. Going to spread you out going to win with schematics, going to win with great talent on the perimeter, great, great talent at quarterback, and uh, we're going to score a lot of points. Hope you can keep pace. I think that's a great formula to go forward with, and I think it'll equate to some uh, rather immediate success for the good folks down there uh, at Mississippi State. Those cowbells, man. A lot of cowbells in the future. A lot of cowbells uh, making some noise there on Saturdays in the fall with Jeff Levy running the show. All right, now speaking of running some shows, uh, Tate Rodemaker. Tate Rodemaker, rather, is running the show for Florida State. Florida State, two-and-a-half-point favorites against Louisville for the ACC title. 8 p.m. Eastern, ABC, Charlotte, North Carolina. We said it at the top of this live show. This is the find-a-way week if you're Florida State. Not perfect circumstances. No Jordan Travis. Just found a way to get a, a grimy, gritty, grindy win in Gainesville last weekend. Rivalry game. You're on the doorstep of all of your preseason goals in Tallahassee. Every single thing that you sought out to accomplish before this year began is right there in front of you. Yes, you're dinged up. No, you're not full strength. Yes, you're tired. So is everybody else. Can you will yourself over the threshold, through the finish line, to check those boxes? Starts in a game like this. And I cannot wait to watch it because this game in itself is so fascinating because you got Florida State on one side of it with everything to achieve. And then you got Louisville there as well. And there's sort of this thought, well, hey, Louisville got their second loss last week against Kentucky. They lost the rivalry game. They're not going to the playoff. Like, you know how big a deal this would be for Louisville if they win this football game? For year one of the Brom squad, for Jeff Brom, a guy who is loyal to the soil, who was born in Louisville, Kentucky, when he's, when he's dead and gone, I promise you, he will be buried in Louisville, Kentucky. Winning the conference would do a ton, obviously, internally, and say, boom, year one, here's some hardware. 
Okay, so that do a lot internally for the belief in what he's already got going there within that locker room and guys through the portal. Talk about the trajectory, though, for this operation. If that's year one and we're winning the ACC and we're only having two losses, what does the future look like? If that's square one, if, if that's just the first step of this whole thing, what's year three looking like? What's year four looking like? Also on the recruiting trail, packaging that up, selling it to recruits. I think you got to feel pretty good about where you stand if you're Jeff Brom and if you're Louisville, if you're able to win this game. Also worth noting, Jack Harlow's probably dropping a single about it. And it's going to be sick. And uh, the album cover is probably Jeff Brom hoisting the ACC title trophy. So let that one sit for a minute. When it comes to this game, man, for Florida State, can you adapt your style of play? How much do you ask of Tate Rodemaker is really the question I have here. Because Tate Rodemaker, as, as good as he has been at times in relief, of Jordan Travis. I think we saw last week against Florida, it's not the same quarterback. They're still trying to, I think, adjust the system to Tate Rodemaker. And adjusting the system, to me, looks like a different tempo of, of gameplay, if that makes sense. Like, I think in this game, what we've said since Jordan Travis got hurt is still true. Trey Benson, need you to tote the rock in this one, brother. He did that last weekend against Florida. I mean, 18, I believe it was somewhere of 18 or 19 carries, 95 yards, five yards of carry and three touchdowns, that'll do. That'll do just fine. Take some pressure off our young quarterback. Let the game come to him. Defense, I think it's going to be extremely important for them to play well early because it might take a second for this Florida State offense to totally gel how they want to going forward in this game. Give the offense time to find rhythm. Eventually, we'll be good, all right? It's what I think you would have to say for Florida State defensively because for Louisville, the scenario that would favor them is they're able to have a quick start Go up 10-0 in the first quarter. We're all checking our phones, looking at the score that aren't, that aren't watching the game and saying, oh boy, Louisville's up 10 on Florida State. Can Rodemaker bring them back? Now, to be clear, they came back from 12 down in Gainesville. So it wouldn't be unfamiliar territory, but I think Louisville's offense is a bit more dynamic than what Florida was working with. And I mean, Jamari, Jamari Thrash is obviously, I think, their, uh, their explosive player when it comes to what they want to do, getting big plays downfield and feeding the ball to him in the slot and finding creative ways to get him involved. But Jawar Jordan, for them, sets the table. Like, if they can pound the rock with him, just hammering away time and time again, I think you do that, one, until Florida State stops it, two, until they overcommit. And that's where Jamari Thrash really becomes that, you know, human stick of dynamite for you if you're Louisville. Now, Rodemaker is going to have to handle some pressure from Louisville. Like, if I'm Louisville, man... I'm like a baby store that does door-to-door delivery with baby store equipment. I am bringing the freaking crib, okay, right to you, Tate Rodemaker. They're going to do stunts on that defensive line. Uh, they're going to bring guys from the third and second level. They're going to show pressure off the edge and then drop those guys out and then bring pressure up the middle. Like, it's, it's going to be a circus <laughs> defensively for Louisville. They're going to do everything they can to rattle this quarterback, this quarterback making his second career start, okay? So in that sense, that could blow up everything. Like, the result for that for Louisville very clearly could be blow up the entire show. Create some turnovers. Tate Rodemaker throws two picks, one for a pick six. And we're kind of scrambling, saying, okay, what does the playoff scenario look like now with Florida State losing the ACC title game? That's a reality that could happen. What my gut says is I think Florida State knows that, and I think they'll have a fair amount of screen game dialed up here. And what screen game would do for Florida State in this spot, it would 
one, give uh, Tate Rotomaker a pretty easy read. Like, you don't have to do a ton of thinking. If you got two screens dialed up, you're reading one guy. And to, to put it simply, there's a two-way go there if you have double screens called in your Tate Rotomaker. The second is it's a pressure beater. So you're kind of using that pressure against Louisville and just having answers for it. And the most important part of this is you're getting the ball to your best player in Keon Coleman. Like having some tunnel screens dialed up for Keon Coleman, I think, is a great way to approach this game and get Tate Rotomaker in rhythm, get Keon Coleman in rhythm. I think good things happen if you make that a reality. Now, I would also say this on top of that, the screen game is great. I think it's a great way to live at some points in this game. But to beat Louisville, you're going to have to throw the football at some point. Kentucky proved that last week. Louisville's got a really good run defense. Just no way around it. They've got a really good run defense. They're allowing less than 100 yards a game. You're going to have to, at some point, throw the ball to beat them. Whether it's third down and long, whether it's, heck, I don't know, to, to end the first half and you got to find a way to get points to stay in it. Like There's going to be some situation where you ask 18 to throw the ball. Can you do it? Obviously, what I just said a second ago was also true in that sense. Like, you can get Keon Coleman the ball in space, extremely important, and Louisville will have to play in space in that way, but I think also you want to be able to push the ball downfield and make those safeties stay at around 8 to 10 yards so they can't just trigger on Trey Benson every single time, adding some balance to the force there. That's important. Now, I just said a lot about the Georgia-Alabama game and the entertainment value in that one. Uh, by nature of the spread, by nature of how these teams match up, I think this might be the best entertainment value of the entire Saturday. I don't think Florida State came this far just to come this far. I think we've seen who this team is multiple times now. We've seen how consistent they are. We've seen the response from this team multiple times. I think they have enough in the tank now. Their culture is strong enough. They have guys in that locker room that have enough grit to pull them over the finish line, I think this is close now. I don't like the spread. I like Florida State to win the game 30-27. to 27. So in that sense, we have them covering if it's still at two and a half by a half point. And if that happens now, if you're Florida State, most importantly, your college football playoff spot is locked in. Jordan Travis, no Jordan Travis, an undefeated ACC champ. You could have me playing quarterback. It does not matter. You will be in if you're undefeated in your Florida State. That's first. Second part of this, if you're able to get that done, now you got a month to sort of reorganize this whole offensive approach to fit Tate Rotomaker best. Because right now, to be real, Tate Rotomaker's wearing an outfit offensively for Florida State that wasn't necessarily his. It's a hand-me-down, right? Jordan Travis wore it. He's obviously unavailable. So they said, hey, Tate, try this on, see how it fits. Fits good enough. Okay, let's find a way to make it happen. Now, if you advance past this week, you get a chance to, all right, hey, let's find, let's find Tate Rotomaker style. Let's find something that fits him a little bit better, that, that's more to his liking. Having a whole month to do that, you give Mike Norvell and the offensive genius that he is a whole month to do that, I think good things happen for Florida State. So again, we got Florida State winning the ACC, punching their ticket to the college football playoff, and the vibes are immaculate in Tallahassee. 8 Eastern. 8 Eastern now. It's going to be a good one. I'm telling you. One to dial in for, without question. Uh, let's keep it moving right now. We're just rolling right along at a nice little pace. If you're dialed in right now via the live chat, Nick, I would imagine, will have a, a little tab open 
It says, Ask JD. We want to get some of your questions here at the end of the show. If you're new to the show, we call ourselves the People's College Football Show. You can't adequately do that if you don't involve the people into the show. So keep an eye on that live chat. I would imagine there'll be a box there to get your questions in in just a few short moments. And uh, we'll get to those into the, the show and have a real good time. So appreciate that. Like I said, the good times keep on rolling. Uh, that's on 8 Eastern on Saturday night. 8 Eastern Friday night, the Pac-12 is giving us a show. Oregon, minus 9.5 against Washington. 8 Eastern ABC in Vegas. It's fitting we got a title fight going on in Las Vegas against these two teams where a lot of big US, UFC fights and boxing matches happen. Like This is going to be a great one. Again, this is a Friday night game. So to give you a little bit of juice to get your college football conference title weekend started, Oregon and Washington are going to get us rolling in a, in a very, very real way, I promise you. Because the first time we saw this game, Washington won by three. Right now, it's Oregon minus nine and a half. The spread opened at seven and a half. It's climbed two points. I don't know what Vegas knows, but we're going to give you our pick in this one uh, for Oregon. This is a crazy college football playoff bargaining chip because at the end of this whole thing, if Oregon wins, every argument you would make against the Ducks at that point is hypothetical because they've avenged their only loss if they beat Washington. So there's nobody you're looking at on the schedule and saying, well, yes, but they lost to this team. Well, the eye test with this team. Yes, they lost to Washington, but the last thing you get to see of Oregon is them beating the team that beat them early in the year. So again, every hypothetical around Oregon is, well, how do they match up with you know, this team? Or what would they do in, in this spot? Or it's, it's all on paper. Everything that happened on the field, Oregon took care of. I think you would like to live in that world if you're Oregon, obviously. Now for Washington, uh, this game, believe it or not, uh, has magical properties for the Huskies. A win in this game, would unlock something magical called shut up juice. Meaning, everybody who had anything to say about Washington, who thought they weren't that good, who thought they didn't deserve to be in the college football playoff, magically, everybody would just be silent. And I'll, I'll include myself in that, in that category because I've said multiple weeks in a row now, hey, Washington, this thing makes me nervous about the defense. Hey, this makes me nervous about how close it was against Arizona State or how close it was against Washington State. If they beat Oregon for the second time, won't hear a peep out of me for a minute. So this is the, uh, this is the opportunity now for, for Washington to just kind of bring the gavel down, silence everybody, and very clearly lock up their college football playoff spot if they're an undefeated Pac-12 champ. Big question I have for this one, man. Who sets the pace in this game? Because both these offenses are so explosive. Clearly with both teams scoring in the 30s last time they met up. Does Oregon start fast? I think is probably the, the more crucial question I have. Because we saw Washington set the pace last game. And Oregon, not that they weren't still scoring points early in this one, but it just had a feeling more of Washington made them earn it. You saw a lot of third and second and long where they were kind of just having to find creative ways to pick up yards Oregon's going to attack the perimeter and then go vertical. We've seen that all year long from the Ducks. That's who they are. They're going to run some outside runs. They're going to try and do the quick game out to Troy Franklin. They're going to get the ball out to Taz on the perimeter. Like They're going to attack the edge of your defense, get you rocking and rolling, and then they're going to go north and south. That's who they are. It's what they've been. Bo Nix runs that thing like a well-oiled machine. That's who they are. Now for Washington, defensively, 
I would expect them to stay true to who they are, which is aggressive, especially at that linebacker position. They are quick on the trigger. They get north and south on you quick, fast, and in a hurry. Like that defense, I think, will try and create some turnovers by getting after that ball in the backfield. No, duh. But whatever I think is, uh, I think the key thing to watch here, who gets that first stop? Who gets that first stop? Who's able to play with the lead? Because it felt like the majority of the last game, it was Oregon chasing Washington. That's what it felt like, obviously, until the end there where Washington put it away. Physical battle in the perimeter is also important here against Washington's wide receivers. We've said it multiple times whenever you break down a Washington game. Those receivers, man, they are the monsters. Roma Dunze, I mean, he may be the best wide receiver in the country. Keon Coleman's in that conversation. Marvin Harrison Jr.'s in that conversation. That should tell you how highly we think of Roma Dunze on this show. He might be the very best in the country. He's going to make a lot of money in the NFL. The thing for Oregon now, when it comes to that physical battle, can't be that free release. It's got to be a lot of, I think, getting hands-on within one to three yards, being able to kind of disrupt their timing of their routes. Because the way that Washington plays, they spread you out so far to the sideline to where that safety just physically can't get over to play the top. So you have to just hold on for dear life and manage that matchup. Whether it's Roma Dunze, whether it's Jalen Polk, like whoever it ends up being, you got to be able to just manage that matchup. Because that, I mean, to, to, to keep it a buck, like if you get gashed, you lose. You lose. Like they have eraser plays is what Washington has. Meaning they could be down a score. They could be having trouble offensively for the majority of the game. But if they hit one of those eraser plays, those we win our one-on-one matchup, your safety can't get over, deep shot to Roma Dunze on heck third and 13, let's call it, touchdown. Everything that we did poorly in this game, eraser. That's what it would be. So expect Oregon to be physical and try and, again, disrupt that timing. If they can manage it, give your offense a chance to kind of keep pace and uh, try and get some stops. Really important now, too. We said this in the Oregon State game. The same thing is true for Oregon in this game against Washington. When Washington spreads you out, the tendency for teams is to have everybody drop out and play coverage. Like those linebackers, they start dropping to like, heck, 10 yards. They start dropping back into their, into the, into their zone. The safeties, they try and keep a lid on the defense. Don't get beat deep. Like you get into that thought process. And then Michael Penix Jr. just says, oh, sweet. Nice little throw underneath to Dylan Johnson. Nice little drop-off pass to our tight end. And then that's where they pick up, before you knew it, a quick seven yards. We're living in second and three. It's second and four, and we're picking up nine, first down. Like, that's the kind of just dink and dunk. It feels minimal, but then you look at how many yards they gained, and you're like, hey, that was, that was almost an explosive play with a check down because we're playing so conservative defensively. It's going to be really important for these Oregon linebackers now to rally up tackle in space and you can drop in coverage to a degree but I would I would really trust my defensive backs if I'm Dan Lanning and if I'm Tosh Lapoy. I think that has to be their approach here is trust your guys in the back end play physical be disruptive rally up in space and, and don't let a nine yard check down be the way that you get beat you can let them check it down let's keep it to four let's keep it to let's keep it to five at the most like that has to be I think the situation you live in if you're Oregon So in a game like this, it's round two. Both these teams have pretty clear tape on what they're going to see or what you would expect to see. Who can adjust the best? And defensively, I think is where I have the biggest questions for both these teams. Because Oregon in their past defense, I said you can't get gashed. They got gashed last time. 
allowed for 300 yards, 302 yards to be exact, and four touchdowns. Got the one pick, but still, like, that's not winning football. It wasn't winning football last time. It will not be winning football again this time. Now, Washington, they allowed 200 yards rushing. And it felt like, to me, Washington, as well as they played offensively, they had those eraser plays that were enough to get them over the top there, but it felt like they were kind of fortunate to win that game in Seattle. Are you able to kind of minimize the rushing attack of Oregon? Because if they can run the football, everything else opens up. We talk about eraser plays for Washington. If Oregon gets rhythm, it's going to be a long day at the office for the Huskies. And you're not in Seattle this time. So there's, there's no crowd kind of feeding into this whole thing that I thought was an advantage for them the last time they met up. So who's our pick in this one? I'll say this. It is very difficult to beat anybody twice, much less a team like Oregon. And Oregon, they were really good last time they played Washington. I thought Oregon would win the game last time, and I was wrong. I don't think this is the same Oregon team we saw in Seattle. Every single week, Oregon seems to get better, and the spot does not affect them. Whether it's supposed to be a letdown, whether it's supposed to be a look-ahead, they just keep on handling business and playing their best football when it matters the most. So I think Oregon wins this game. Y'all, that spread is big. Nine and a half. I'm taking Oregon in cover. I think we see a lot of points. I think Oregon wins this game 41-31. to 31. And for Oregon, I would have a very difficult time leaving them out of the playoff. I understand there's stuff going on with Bama and stuff to go on with Texas. But again, if you're, if you're Oregon and you win this game, every conversation you want to have about your objections to Oregon, you go back to the loss against Washington as probably your key point. And then that point gets thrown out the window, in my opinion, by nature of beating that same team that beats you at a neutral site especially if they do it in convincing fashion. So that'll set the table for our conference championship weekend. But again, we like Oregon to win, like them to cover. They're playing some of the best football in the country. And at that point, I don't know if there's a ton more to be argued with if they avenge that one loss. Man, we got one more game to break down here. Again, get in that live chat. There's a little tab. It says Ask JD, a little Q&A. Want to hear from y'all. Tomorrow, we'll have this show as well, 11 a.m. Eastern. So one subscribe. To come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Eastern, we'll have playoff scenarios. I don't know if y'all have been keeping tabs on what's going on with the transfer portal. Follow on three on Twitter because we're keeping up with all the portal news. So make sure you follow us there on X, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the portal's popping off. Will Rogers in that thing. Tyler Van Dyke is in that thing. Chris Tyree is in that thing. Like it's it's gonna be like a be like a Black Friday kind of day when that portal opens up and uh, other names jump in there, but. Keep an eye on that. We'll talk about that tomorrow as well. So make sure you're dialed in so you don't miss what we're talking about tomorrow. One more game to break down here. And this is uh, the nightcap for your Saturday. You got Florida State and Louisville as well. But in the Big Ten, you'll have Michigan and Iowa. Michigan favored by 23 points. 8 Eastern on Fox, Indianapolis, Indiana, Lucas Oil Stadium, the house that Pat McAfee built. Michigan, they've gotten to the other side of their adversity. Whether it was self-imposed or not, I'm not here to talk about that. Anytime your head coach is not on the sideline for your most important games of the season, some adversity. They handled it. Jim Harbaugh will be back in this game. But here's the deal, man. Those games mean nothing if you don't win this one. Talk about the playoff. Talk about beating Ohio State and beating Penn State and going undefeated in the regular season. None of that matters if you don't handle business in the conference title game. 
Can they do it? We'll tell you here in just a second. For Iowa, man, like, it's been funny if you've kept up with, like, college football social media, whether it's Instagram or Twitter. If you scroll for a few pages, you can probably find some Iowa jokes. Like the talk about, can they average 25 points a game? The drive to 325. It's a joke until it's not. It's a joke until Iowa beats you. Okay? And with Iowa, I think there's some quiet confidence. They don't need anyone's approval. They don't care about what you think about their offense. They don't care about what you think about how how they win games. Uh, They don't care about the spread. 23 points, they could take it or leave it. This was also on their list of preseason goals. Cade McNamara former Michigan quarterback, was on a show. I don't know which one it was, but there's a clip circulating out on Twitter right now where he says, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm helping, obviously, Deacon, who's the quarterback, Deacon Hill, helping him get ready for this game. But, I mean, honestly, I'm, I'm helping the entire team get ready because I know, and he calls them that other team. He called Michigan that other, He wouldn't even say Michigan. He said, I, I know that other team so well, offensively and defensively. Uh, I'm helping us get ready for this one. So uh, there's some juice now in this one. There's some juice. Make no mistake about it. As, as we always say now, double-digit point spread. What are the non-negotiables? For, for, for Iowa to beat Michigan, uh, it'll take a, a pretty substantial effort. Obviously, that's a non-negotiable, but I think they need some short fields. Say what you want about the offense. They've averaged 18 points a game. They need to kind of have this teed up for them just a little bit. So how does that happen? Tales old as time, man. Those boys wearing the... Uh, the punts, sweatshirts at the Iowa-Nebraska game. One, that was awesome. Two, this might be the game for you. Need some punts, and I need a quick three and out from our defense so that we can get the ball punted back to us, be somewhere around the 50-yard line, and feel good about our situation going forward. That would be a great way to live. Other part of that, maybe for some turnovers. Maybe you have a tremendous punt return like all facets of the game here, all hands on deck in this one to create a short field for our offense to try and get some stuff done there. Now, speaking of what the offense has to do, like when it comes to that special teams unit, if the offense gets you in field goal range, we got to be automatic. You cannot leave points on the table here. Just no way around it. You can't leave points on the table. You can't miss field goals and expect to beat Michigan and win the Big Ten. Not going to happen. So Marshall Meter, hero of the game against Nebraska, I don't know if he's kicking field goals in this game, but if he is, like, hey, let's dial in, baby. Let's dial in. Your time to shine. Got to nail the field goals. Question here is, can Michigan find that extra gear again offensively? And I say again, I think they had it to a degree last week, but like Iowa's run defense, they're really good. And Michigan, they want to run the football. Iowa's giving up three yards of carry. The thing that I would watch in this one, I think Michigan will double down, as we've seen them do to this point in the year, on who they are. They make no apologies about it. We're going to run the football at you. We're going to go north and south. We're going to give the ball to Blake Corum, give it to Donald Edwards, and that's going to be our approach offensively. Now, if I was able to stack the box and have some success stopping the run there, the thing I'm watching here is what does J.J. McCarthy do? Because what we've seen to this point, the Penn State game comes to mind, Ohio State a little bit with what he did ad-libbing and pass plays. How about J.J. McCarthy on those quarterback read option plays? A little bit of seasoning to that offense. A little bit of... uh, Oh, I didn't see that one coming. If you're the Iowa defense is what I would think he would have to be because he would kind of offset what that box is able to do. If you want to stack it in the middle or you want to focus just on the running backs and J.J. McCarthy gives the little, uh, you know, 
misdirection, little sleight of hand, gets around the corner, picks up 10 when they needed eight on third down. That could be something that Michigan, I think, may end up needing in this football game. Because if they're able to limit that part of Michigan's offense and make it a game that's played in the teens, which we'll talk about here in a second, uh, that would favor that would favor Iowa. That's a game they are very comfortable playing. Also, talking about J.J. McCarthy, uh, need to push the ball downfield. Pretty straightforward. And the beautiful part about this for Michigan, it just takes one. It just takes one deep shot to open everything else up. Because for Iowa, as good as they are stopping the run, those safeties, they will add in and help play the run as any good run defense does. But if you get beat over the top one time, Cornelius Johnson, let's say 47 yards deep post route for a touchdown, that happens one time in the game. If I'm playing safety for Iowa, a little bit of that mind game going on. A little bit of hesitation now whenever I trigger to play a run because I got burned on play action last time. And if you can make them hesitate, that gain that was going to be a four-yard gain because the safety came up and helped add in on a knockback tackle, Blake Quorum keeps those legs churning and pushes through without that safety adding in quite as quickly, becomes six yards. Very big difference living in second and six and second and four. Okay, so keep an eye on that one. Also, pretty important to say, if they're able to have that deep shot in the game, by nature of what we know from Iowa, uh, you're probably playing with a lead if you're Michigan. Now, offensively for Iowa, we're going to talk about y'all a little bit too, man. Like, can Iowa pick at that scab that Ohio State, I think, opened up a little bit? Because Michigan, don't get it twisted. Really good run defense, statistically. But to the same token... Uh, Ohio State, I felt like maybe just maybe put something on tape that Iowa could, I don't know if take advantage of is the right word, because it's a different style, but I mean, I would at least test it if I'm Iowa. Like there was a, a drive there, eight straight runs for Ohio State. They were the more physical outfit on that drive, forced the issue, and pushed Michigan off the line of scrimmage. Like that, that was something we all saw happen. Now, I say it's a different kind of game because Ohio State had the luxury of having the best player in college football, Marvin Harrison Jr. lineup out wide for you. you got to worry about that. But still for Iowa, I think that would be the way that they would like to approach this thing. They're a 57% run team. If they can get a little bit of momentum there, maybe you keep that game low scoring. Maybe you keep Michigan within arm's reach. Maybe you keep the Michigan offense off the field. And hey, heck, we might have a game in the fourth quarter here in Indianapolis. I think it's also worth noting now um, you only get to play that style if you have some sort of lead over Michigan. And to be real, like as good as Iowa's defense is, how multiple and how tested Michigan's offense has been the last couple of weeks, playing against a good front in Penn State and playing against a good Ohio State defense, I think Michigan's going to be able to establish a lead. I don't think Iowa's going to be able to keep pace with them. And honestly, I think for Michigan, we talked about the potential, just the human nature of having an exhale after the win over Ohio State, after getting your head coach back. I don't think there's that big exhale for Michigan in this game. I think the opposite, actually. I think there's blood in the water. I think they smell the finish line. I think they got their head coach back, and that motivates them even further to prove a point, to win the Big Ten. I think Michigan wins this game. 31 to 10. So in that way, we have Iowa covering. If that means anything to you of 23 points, we have them winning by 21 points. We think Michigan wins 
And not only does that take you back to the college football playoff, but I think the redemption tour is then very much still on for Michigan. Because we talked so much in the offseason about they got to get back to the college football playoff. They got to win a game in the college football playoff. They got to win the national championship for this year to be a success. A couple of years ago, Michigan talked a lot about being on their revenge tour, you know, beat Michigan State, beating Ohio State, and all that. Like that was their goal for a while there. It's not about revenge, it's about redemption. It's about getting back to that spot where you lost to TCU a season ago and redeeming what went wrong. That's the reason a lot of guys came back. It's the reason why these guys came back in Blake Corum and others within this operation. So with that being said, we like Michigan to win the game, like them to win definitively, getting back to the college football playoff, and the redemption tour is very much so still intact for Jim Harbaugh and company. So there you have it, man. Those are our Power 5 conference champs. We'll give you a quick recap. We got Oregon over Washington. We got Florida State over Louisville. We got Georgia over Bama. We got Texas over Oklahoma State. We got Michigan over Iowa. It's going to be a good weekend. It's going to be a very, very good weekend. Uh, some surprising lines, obviously, with Oregon and Washington. But uh, regardless, man, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of fun. So with that being said now, let's bring in the man, the myth, the legend. I know you missed him. Missed him last Wednesday. We didn't have a Q&A last Thursday because it was a, a premiere show. We're throwing it right now to the man, the heavy lifter extraordinaire, pride of Owensboro, Kentucky, Nick Brake. Nick, what's going on, baby? I got to get my mic. I wasn't ready, man. Yeah, I thought well, we were going to we, do a, an there? ad read today. What are we doing? Um, yeah, you know what? If you want to live in a one-shot really quick, yeah, that would be great. Do we, have a, do we have an ad read? You know what? Let's, let's get to an ad read. Okay. I'm gonna, it's I'm gonna just grab me this, right now. this piece of paper you, you over here. You can get up. It's it's just me sitting here. Oh, okay, the, great. Uh, People want to see that anyway. What's up, guys? Um, look, I I can just look around in the chat right now. It looks like we have like 20, 30 questions. JD, I don't Sheesh. think we're gonna get to that. Sheesh. It's already eleven fifteen. That's good stuff, man. That's good stuff. Well, we hey, how stuff about this? Let's get to probably three or four. We'll do an ad read before that. Okay. And uh, y'all, if we can get to your question today, two things. One, follow me on Instagram because we're gonna make sure we answer those in orderly fashion on my Instagram page on Friday. That's one way to do it. Two, and probably the more efficient way to do this, get at us tomorrow in the live chat. We have the same show. Well, not the same show, but this show, the same one, is on again tomorrow, 11 a.m. Eastern. Want y'all dialed in. Subscribe so you don't miss it. You get the, uh, the bell notification so you don't miss it. Want y'all a part of this, so we appreciate that in advance. Uh, Nick, I appreciate that, brother, for you ad-libbing there a little bit, Johnny Manziel style. Uh, we're going to go with a rowback ad read here. How's that sound? Do it. Sound good? All right. We'll rock and roll here. Uh, so here's the deal. A hard count brought to you by our friends at Roback and y'all that have tuned in to my Instagram stories or that saw segment we did with Andy Staples. Like y'all know I love Roback and there's a reason for that. One, look good. All right. I, I love the way that it looks. It's comfortable without being like sort of, uh, sort of unkept, if you will, like some of these athleisure companies are. Wear them all the time for a reason. They have the best polos on the market, best hoodies on the market. You can last the entire day on a hot game day in the same polo. It's breathable, great moisture-wicking fabric. Uh, Four-way stretch makes it easy to move in while keeping you feeling fresh. And that's across the board from performance crews to polos to t-shirts. Whatever you want to get done, Roback has got an article of clothing for that. All right, so Roback has also been proudly leading the charge in NIL. They've signed partnerships with guys like 
Cade Klubnik, Kyle McCord, Nick Singleton, Jalen Milrow. Huge game in Atlanta. We'll see him in person this week. They've also teamed up with legendary Coach O. So use code JD on Roback.com for a generous 20% off for all new customers through the end of this week. Okay? Through the end of this week. So lock in. May be here next week. It may not. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't risk it if I were you. That's spelled R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. That's 20% off all performance polos, shorts, joggers, fleece. Like I'm telling you, whatever you need for crispy, frosty windshield season, Roback's got you covered. So just in time now for conference championship week. Get dialed in with Roback. Check them out at Roback.com. We appreciate them making that happen. Nick, uh, you are joining the spot, brother. I appreciate you rolling with that. Sorry, Absolutely. I caught you, caught you off guard there. Hey, what's uh, what's going on in the chat today? What, what we got the good people saying? Well, we got a lot. Um, That's good news. We're going to have to start with Rocky Top Tom because this is a good question, mm. and it's, I think, one that we definitely disagree on. But first, before I do that, I'm going to get rid of this rowback lower third. That, that you and I disagree on? Yes. Okay. And Trey and I were talking about this when we were like saying earlier today how we disagree with you here. All right. Um, Dirty JD, laundry. here we go. If both the Pac-12 and SEC games – the one defeated or the undefeated against the one lost team. So, what if both Oregon and Alabama win and there's only one spot on the line? Which team gets in and why? Yeah, man, this is tricky. So, so you and I disagree on this. So, I'm curious to hear your thoughts here. Um, I'll say this I see the case for both. I really do. The thing with me is, again, going back to the loss itself and the context within that loss of Alabama losing by double digits at their own place, Oregon losing by three points on the road, Oregon losing to a higher-ranked team on the road, Alabama losing to a lower-ranked team at their place if you're freezing that loss. The thing that could happen here is the catapult effect of Alabama beating a number-one-ranked team in Georgia and Atlanta. Like, Admittedly, that would be a tremendous like mic-drop kind of moment. Uh, if I'm Texas, like... I wonder where they sit in this whole conversation. Like I said, I think you feel pretty good about it if you're Texas heading into the Big 12 title game with what you did eye test-wise against Texas Tech. Nick, I would take Oregon. I, I really would. I would take Oregon, and I think their resume, and I think that avenging their only loss of the season and the context within that loss, if you want to split hairs, I think it's razor thin. But I would take Oregon over Bama in that spot. Now, I want, to hear, I want to hear your thoughts, and we'll disagree, and that's fine, but well, I want to hear your I, thoughts here. I know you're talking about the losses, but, dude, Oregon's wins are a lot less impressive than Alabama's. Like, I mean, I'm talking a lot less impressive. Explain that to me. Georgia is the very – if they beat Georgia, they're the very best team. as back-to-back champs. Mm -hmm. um, and then your, your Oregon State, that, that win's not nearly as good as – as people are acting like it is, right? They have what? They have four losses. I mean, well, Utah. I think, who's, who's Utah's quarterback this year against Oregon? Hill, Barnes? Bryson Barnes action. Oregon yeah. State. I would say they were flirting with the top ten at one point. So I think, at one point, but well, they have four. I losses mean, they, they were number sixteen when they lost to them last week, and they're they're only lost to a top ten team. And they I mean, if you want to, again, I think they're freezing wins. I do think the eye test is something to be said too. Like the committee keeps telling us here, and it might change if you beat the number one ranked team in the country. So. We'll, uh, we'll see what happens there, but they keep telling us, hey, we like Oregon a lot. We think Oregon's the best one-loss team. and So we'll see. I, I, I really am so fascinated because the ace up the sleeve is, well, hey, we beat the number one team in the country. And I will say, too, I think the way that it looks probably matters. Like if Alabama walks it off in overtime by a field goal and Oregon just throttles Washington, there, there may be riots if Oregon's not in the college football playoff if they just hammer the only team that beat them. So – 
it, it may come down to the eye test, Nick. And in that sense, maybe we'll come in here on Sunday, you and me, and I'll say, you know what? Bama deserves to be in over Oregon. Like, it, it may come down to that. I think the resumes are that comparable. And, uh, yeah, it'll be fun. I can't wait. Yeah, I just it's because I just can't imagine the SEC being left out. There will be rides for that as well. Team. I think I think there's no wrong way to go about that. Just yeah. so we're clear, it'd be very very challenging. Um, this next question is a good one, and then this kind of goes really what what we were just asking. Uh, my boy Magic says, "Why do you doubt Washington? They beat four ranked teams uh, while they're ranked while they were ranked: Oregon, USC, Utah, and Oregon State. Five if you count Arizona, who wasn't ranked when they beat them. But now, so JD, do you doubt?" Washington. I mean, you, you yeah. picked against him. But I guess I do. I guess I do. I mean, I will Washington. say you were very, uh, you're very more, much so. Uh, you think Oregon's a better team, but JD, talk about Washington. No, I mean, I think there's, I think two things can be true. I think you can give Washington their flowers, being one of the best teams in the country. I think their resume is tremendous, and they beat a top ten Oregon team. There's no way around that. They beat USC. Uh, they beat Oregon State on the road in a rainy atmosphere. Uh, like you said, Arizona is now a ranked win, and they beat them. So like, the resume is, is is solid if you're Washington. The thing for me is the issues that I see within Washington with their run defense and the fashion in which they've won some of these games. We got Washington State's a three point win. We got a two-point win over Oregon State. Nick, I know it was in Eugene, but Oregon just throttled Oregon State. So same opponent there, not even close. Uh, the USC game, I believe Oregon had a, had a larger margin of victory there. Let's double-check ourselves so I'm not giving you some sort of incorrect information here. Um, Washington won that by 10. And, okay, so USC, they won by 9. So pretty comparable there. Overall, like, the, the head-to-head is, in like, without, you know, uh, there's, there's no way to argue against that. Like, clearly... Washington beating Oregon, they're the better team right now. I just think Oregon's trended better, and I think they match up better. And I think it not being in Seattle is going to play a factor in this one. So, again, we like them to win, like them to cover. And if we're wrong, like I said, that Washington game uh, will have a little bit of shut-up juice baked into it. And if they win, we will, uh, we will shut up right here, Nick. So, Washington, they're a good team, but I just think Oregon's the better one. Sounds good, J.D. This is another scenario question. We've got two more I'm going to get to. And then I love we'll it. I have to wrap up. Um, this question coming from Mike Hawk. <laughs> I'm going to say that uh, very... Uh, Michael. Yeah, Michael. Michael Hawk. That's the one. Tony Hawk. I had to say it very carefully. Uh, crazy scenario, but who gets in if Georgia was to lose to Alabama, Washington lose against Oregon, Florida State lose to Louisville, and Texas win? That's a lot of one-loss yeah. teams. In JD. that way, I think there's room for everybody. So I think you have Michigan in, is my assumption. Florida State's out. They're not a conference champ. Oregon's in. Bama's in. Texas is in. That might be your playoff field right there. Michigan and all the conference champions. And I know Georgia will probably feel slighted a little bit, but a one-loss non-conference champ versus what Oregon and, and uh, who am I missing? Texas and Bama have done. T- Bama obviously beating Georgia. I think that would probably be the, the differentiator. And the resume is better for Georgia but the committee just keeps on telling us, hey, we care about the one-loss conference champ. We care about being a conference champ. That matters to us. It's what the other committees have said. I believe it's actually written within uh, the thought process of the college football playoff. So I think they would end up having the, that top four field set. So if you have more questions, I'm going to get out a college football playoff scenario segment for us tomorrow on this live show. Uh, we're going to answer those questions. We'll answer them if you have them in the live chat right now. But I'll, I'm going to put up a tweet on my Twitter page, at Jody Piquel, and ask y'all, give me your most intriguing college football playoff scenarios. We've done that segment for the last couple of weeks now. Y'all always respond in full force on that 
question. I'll, I'll pose it after we get off the air here. Uh, get at me on there and we'll answer those in a more thought out, more full, elongated answer for you uh, if you have some of those questions for us after the rankings tonight. I can't believe I fell for that trick name. Um, Michael. It, no, it's, it's, everyone knows Michael, you know? <laughs> yeah, I guess some so. Some go by hey. Mike, some go by Mickey. <laughs> you know well yeah if, if that offended anyone i apologize i did not even catch it um final question i like this one um i gotta find it really quick though i love it, it it's about the game this past weekend um man there it is okay i lb says would you agree that the game wasn't as close as people think i mean ohio, ohio state was playing from behind the whole game and they were always trying to play catch up and they never seemed to be able to jd I see where you're coming from. It felt like Michigan controlled a fair amount of that game. But I would, I mean, my thought goes back to Ohio State had a chance to win that game on the final drive. And so maybe the game flow didn't feel necessarily as close for all four quarters of it. But Kyle McCord, if he doesn't throw that pick, I think you have a real good chance to find someone in the back of the end zone, whether it's Marvin Harrison Jr. or Mecca Ibuka, if they drive down the field and get to that spot. Like Ohio State, I think, was in that position to win the football game. So to me, I have a very difficult time saying that it wasn't as close as it looked. I think it absolutely was. I think it may even be closer than what that box score tells us, Nick. Like we talk about, you know, the, the winner of that game um, having won the rushing battle for 22 games in a row. It took until the final drive for Michigan to eventually win that rushing battle. So, I mean, I think it was razor thin margins if they played it again tomorrow who knows who would win? Obviously, they won't play again tomorrow, so that's kind of the beauty of a rivalry. But I think, uh, no, I mean, I think it was absolutely that close, and I think maybe even closer than, than what we saw from the box score. J.D. O.G. Gary, um, a little mad about my thing about Oregon. He, he's on your side. O.G. Gary, I watch about as much college football as I do like college field hockey, so I would trust J.D.'s opinion. <laughs> so you're probably right, but J.D., that's I know you're a big you. college field hockey guy. Oh, no. no. You're dialed in. <laughs> I don't know. Is that a clip? I guess it is. Um, but, J.D., I'll, I'll see you tomorrow, my friend. Nick, appreciate you, brother. Nick Brake, hold it down. Just lightning on his feet. We got an ad read to do. Throws it to the one shot. We're good to go. Hey, appreciate y'all being dialed in. Like I said, it is find a way week. We will be back on the air tomorrow at this same time, 11 a.m. Eastern. Wind the watches set the alarms, hit the actually alarm notification on this channel to make sure you know when we are going live. Won't want to miss it. Uh, college football playoff reaction. Immediately after the rankings drop, we will have thoughts for you on this channel. So subscribe because of the show. Subscribe because of that reaction. Get at me on Twitter, at JDPakel. They call it X now. We knew it as Twitter. We're still calling it Twitter because we're having a hard time breaking that habit. Uh, we'll have a question for you in a matter of moments. What is your most intriguing college football playoff scenario? Get at me on there, at J.D. Pakel. We love y'all. We appreciate y'all. It is find a way week. We all got to find a way this week, all right? We're going to keep this party rolling. We will see y'all next time.
With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.